to the Zombie Fishbowl, a podcast about random shit. Hello! I'm Danielle, and she is... Melanie! I live in the USA! (laughs) Hello, welcome to episode two. Welcome back. Hopefully we will entertain you again, or for the first time. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe the last one wasn't entertaining, maybe it was annoying and you want to tell us off, I don't know. So last time we talked about haunted battlefields. And real quick, before we go into anything else, I just want to... I completely did a brain fart on where the Battle of Little Bighorn took place. And it was such an important battle, and I felt like such an asshole for completely forgetting where it even took place. So it took place in Montana, for anyone who was curious. Montana. Montana. <laughs> so that 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 is the um the place where that took place. Yeah. Yes. And also, um, before we start, um, I I really want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to the talented and wonderful and sweet and lovely Mikey uh, for designing us a beautiful logo. Um, Mikey is Melanie's sister, and she has my sister. Yeah, she's she's really made a really pretty one based on the very crap Microsoft Paint. logo that i did first uh first first in the first place so i love it and thank you mikey genuinely thank you it's beautiful we love it and and a really strong shout out to the slow poisoner for letting us use a little bit of his song woods full of witches as our uh our intro and possibly extra we'll figure it out but thank you so much talented amazing amazing musician look him up yeah, he's really cool and fun, and um, I've you've got a new fan in me. Yeah, he's a bizarro, and we yeah. love bizarros. I really liked it. So, okay, Melanie, what's our topic? Um, well, first, did you want to do any purge? Oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> Stop forgetting the purge. It's an important part. Integral um, part. Right. I. I don't. I don't really know. Melanie, you go first. What do you? What would you like to purge this week? Well, I guess my only real purge is because aside from doing this, um, I work retail, and um, yeah, yeah. Danielle's face says everything there is to say about working retail. Mm. Thankfully, I love my job. I sell crystals and body jewelry and sculptures of fairies and dragons and gargoyles, and it's super satisfying. But customers can be monsters um and i just i just want to say to anyone who's listening if you're a shopper shopping anywhere at all ever don't be a dick the uh people behind the counter don't owe you shit if you are the kind of person who says the customer is always right you really should just set yourself on fire yeah you're a total (laughs) asshole yeah yeah whoever came up with that phrase was a masochist (laughs) yes he's just a fucking prick and, uh, yeah, I hope he's in hell somewhere. Yeah, the customer is never right, except when they are. Well, yeah. customers are allowed to be right, um, but that <laughs> does not mean that they get to just berate whoever the hell's behind the counter, because 90% of the time that person has no control over what it was that's upsetting the customer. So be respectful, please. Yeah. I follow a Reddit called Tales from Retail, and... Um... It makes me feel so good that I don't do retail anymore um, and waitressing. So that's always a fun one. Um, yeah. yeah. 
Don't be a dick to Melanie when you go into her shop. That's a good, you know. <laughs> Don't be a dick to anyone. If you see some, like, 16-year-old kid behind a counter, like, he, what power do you think he has? None. He has no power. He is, he has got acne, and that's, that's really, he's not in a good place. Don't give him shit. That's my purge. Uh, I, I have to admit that I am 99% of the time overly friendly with retail staff and service industry people because I know that I've been that person. But sometimes I do have a bad day and I can be a bit arsy. And sometimes I obsess over that days thinking mm-hmm. about how I was an arsehole to someone for no reason. So to all those people I've accidentally been an arsehole to, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was having a bad day. And I took it out on you and I shouldn't have. I always overcompensate the next time around, I think. Yeah, like, here's, so, here's, here's $5. I'm so sorry. Yeah, exactly. I'm so sorry. But you can tell the people that are having a bad day versus the people that are, like, professional moaners. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my favorite is people come into my shop because we, we do haggle to a certain extent. You know, we'll work with you a little bit. But if you come in straight off, haven't even said hi, haven't made eye contact to me, and it's like, how much are you going to give me for this? Or, you know, how, how much do I have to pay for this? Well, that's the price, sir. Yeah, but what are you going to do for me? Not a thing. Mm. Uh, that's that's what you're looking at. Uh, you I wouldn't haggle in retail. Me. I wouldn't haggle in a retail environment like a shop in a mall. I, it wouldn't even cross my mind because the people that work in those shops have absolutely no control over what prices things are. You know, it wouldn't even it, it boggles the mind that people think you could walk into a Walmart and haggle with one of this the staff, you know, and yeah. it, it just doesn't you you, can, you haggle in markets and, um, you know, eBay. You don't haggle in, you know, Coles. No, I did think do. of an American company then and I don't know why my mind, my mind went say an American place say an American place <laughs> most of your most of the listeners were probably free from your end I imagine never know never know you're more popular than me (laughs) but that's just because they haven't met you yet and you're adorable (laughs) we'll learn we'll spread the love we'll see so what should i moan about (laughs) my sewing machine's broken oh no (laughs) and i don't know what's wrong with it I don't know enough about sewing machines to be able to describe what's wrong with it either. either. But um, basically, my bottom bobbin keeps getting stuck. You need a new bobbin holder. Really? It keeps getting yanked up into the... um, into the where my see I can't even tell you the terms the bottom bobbin keeps getting pulled up and yanked when I'm trying to sew anything so it gets yeah. all caught up in the um, actual sewing area and I have to cut my thread out and everything to get it out so I need every, a, a new every time I've had that problem it's been because of a bobbin holder huh. is it it couldn't be that simple well it's, well it's a little strange like metal piece and it's a pain in the ass but it's worth a shot Okay, <laughs> I'll, I will do that. And then I will also, someone told me to take the plate off or whatever and make sure that there's no thread stuck inside the machine. Yeah. And then also to make sure that I've oiled all of the um, bits and make sure it's oiled because it could be getting stuck because it needs oil on it. So those three things I'll do before I take it in to get repaired. We'll so. keep all of us updated on... Uh... <laughs> The status of your sewing gate. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I don't really know how to sew. I just know how to 
you know, turn the machine on and, and sew a straight line. Um, and I've been finding it very therapeutic. And then it's not therapeutic anymore when it keeps getting jammed and ruining fabric. So that's what I'm pissed off about, I guess, because I've made commitments to making some friends, some items, and I can't do it at the moment because I have knackered my machine in. So yeah. hopefully I can fix it. So all that's right, so- all I have to... um moan about this week publicly <laughs> <laughs> right on the count of three let's take a deep breath okay one two three <sighs> all right I wonder if you'll be able to hear what i did we'll see <laughs> I exhaled really like calmly onto the microphone <laughs> nice so maybe you get some kind of effect going on <laughs> do you feel better i do feel better i've i've got a little bit of a headache today so that's why i'm not as perky as i usually am and i think it's because the sun's out and i just got used to it being grim and now that the sun's out my uh british nature has made me have a headache so i still have something to moan about so whether it's raining or shining there's got to be a problem it's raining i'm piss wet through and grumpy the sun's out i've got a headache because i'm squinting you can't win <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait, that was weather. Let me breathe again. <sighs> okay, there we go. Okay, I feel I feel better now. Anyway. All right. So on to our topic this week, which is dun dun dun, mummies. <laughs> mummies. <laughs> I'm so excited to do this topic. I went absolutely batshit doing research for this you're gonna fucking love it every time I thought about how you would react to what I've written I started laughing and chuckling to myself and I'd have to compose myself I was just I was writing this for you I 100% wrote this for you um and hopefully other people find it amusing nice (laughs) nice so uh do you want to start or No. no no I want you to start because um yeah, because mine are general mummy facts. Okay. So I think it suits being at the end. Okay. So what is a mummy? A mummy is a naturally or artificially preserved body of human or animal. For the sake of this episode, we are sticking to the artificially preserved, right? Yes. Okay. Um, because there are so many cool mummies out there in the world, um, and we we want to we want to devote certain episodes to to different types because they all deserve proper attention. So what I discovered is the oldest artificially prepared mummies on record are the Chinchoro mummies, and I'm probably wrecking the pronunciation of that. Mm. The Chinchoro mummies of Chile. Um, they were uh, mummified roughly 2,000 years before the Egyptian mummies. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, super cool. I'm super excited. Okay. Is this Inca Empire? What did you say? So these are Chinchoro. It's from the Chinchoro tribe uh, that was, or, or civilization that was in northern Chile. Northern Chile. Sorry, I do apologize. Inca is Mexican. Yeah, I believe so. So, so in 1914, Max Ull. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. That just sounds like a noise. Max Uli. <laughs> Uli. Probably Uli. Um, 
from Germany discovered about 282 mummies at the base of uh, Morro de Arica in Chile. Now, 20%, 29% of the known mummies were naturally mummified. 96%, 96 of them were actually in condition enough to, to research and carbon date and all that fun stuff. What's interesting about them is that unlike uh, with, with Egypt, they, um, they mummified everybody. So uh, men, women, children, uh, high social status, low social status, all of them. There was there was no uh, what's the word? Help um, me. Elitism. No, there was there's. Uh... It was egalitarian. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> we should define like, that. <laughs> they found 54 adults, 27 female, 20 male. They found 42 children, 7 female, 12 male, 23 undetermined. Um, and the way that they moved, so their their society lasted from 7,000 uh, BC to roughly 1350 BC. So there was like an evolution in their mummification process. Mm-hmm. Um, at first they just sort of like would wrap the bodies, uh, they'd put special little trinkets or belongings in the bindings and just sort of throw them in peat mm-hmm. uh, and let them, but they, they recognized that the peat would preserve them. Um, so technically it's still a prepared mummy. Um, but then time went on and we got, so they did the, the natural mummies, the black mummies, the red mummies, and then the mud coat mummies. And they were so gross. <laughs> they were so gross. Tell us so, how gross, Melanie. Between 5000 BC and 3000 BC, we had the black mummies, wherein they would completely dismantle the body. They would separate the arms, the legs, the head, the skin. Nice. Yeah. And then they would take their stone tools and they would, because this is pre-ceramic era, so they had their little stone tools and they would uh, remove all of the meat and organs and ligaments and tissue and then they would take sticks to reinforce the bones and then fill the cavity with um animal matter or just like plant matter uh, i think i wrote down here grass ashes soil animal hair and more and then they would reassemble the limbs um cover uh, pull the skin they would either pull the skin back on like a glove or put it on piece by piece Mm. I think they tried for the glove thing at first, and if that didn't work, then they were just like, all right, fuck it. <laughs> Put your hands up. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, then they would cover the body with white ash paste. Um, they would use ash to fill in the face uh, so it would be less disturbing. And then the skin would be reapplied. The body would be painted with black manganese and sometimes fitted with a clay mask. And they would have a black uh, wig, short wig of uh, animal hair. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows why they mummified their dead. Okay. So with, like, with Egyptian culture, we, we have kind of an understanding of why they did it. Um, this was so long ago, we really have no clue. Some people think that it was, you know, to preserve their souls or to help guide their souls on from there. Um, some people think that they did it just to make uh, the bodies less frightening. Less frightening. Yeah. If you look at these mummies, if you Google images of the Chinchorro mummies, they're not... They're not cute. Um, no. I don't, the I don't mask, mind the, the less... Oh, I don't know. You never know. They might, what happens like when a... people like naturally decompose it's pretty gross. Yeah, yeah. I suppose mummification is less gross than decomposition. 
So another theory is because they were a semi-nomadic tribe, and apparently, I mean, they clearly they honored their dead. Um, mummifying was just the best way to move them from place to place with them. Mm-hmm. So that that was that was kind of the the final thought that I sort of stumbled on because again we have no real good reason. Oh, um, so our um, uh, producer Dame has just googled the Chinchero mummies and show me some pictures and they are gorgeous. Right. Let me tell you, they are the sexiest mummies. <laughs> um, yeah, they're pretty unique actually. Right. I mean. I'm thinking Chile is quite hot, um, so having mummification might help eradicate certain smells if they like to keep their bodies exposed, because um, some cultures do um, excarnation, you know, um, leaving the bodies out yeah. um, to be exposed to the elements. And I suppose if you mummify um, your dead, at least you won't have to deal with the smell of a hot body. Apparently they were still real stinky. I'm um, thinking that, so that's kind of why I trailed off there, because I was thinking, you know, but they still smell pretty bad, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, there's I even love how they all have, like, holes in their faces. I know, it's like, it's like a, a plank of clay with these little holes for the eyes and the mouth, and it's just like, oh, it's so spooky. Uh, it's so spooky. Alright. So after the black mummies, they sort of evolved into doing red mummies, in which they did no longer disassemble the body. Um, they would just make incisions in the torso and, for some reason, the shoulders to remove the organs and to dry out the body cavity. Then they would cut off the head to remove the brain. I haven't found any details as to how they specifically removed the brain from the severed head. I assume through the neck hole. <laughs> That's just because I like to assume that. They would occasionally skin the head and then paste it back on like before. Um, again, enforcing the bones with sticks and packing the body with various materials. Then they would replace the head um, back onto the body with a wig of human hair up to 60 centimeters long and a hat made of black clay to keep the wig in place. Face to be painted black while the body was painted red with red ochre, which is like a red clay pigment. Yep. Um, and again, with the... The clay masks, the spooky clay masks. And then finally, I think they finally realized that all of this work and they still had a stinky, rotty body on them. Uh, So they they created this like perfect clay. Um, They would take some of the natural clay and some other elements and they just sort of created this perfect clay where they would just coat the body um, with it, kind of molding it into its proper human shape and then sort of cementing it into its burial place. And that, they figured, was because that was the most effective way to cut down the, the smell. Okay. Is there uh, evidence that they carried the mummies around with them a lot then? Like, is there, like, wear and tear on the bodies? There's there's some wear and tear, and they found that some of the bodies had been painted and repainted. Ah. Yeah. And they know the tribe is nomadic. So um, if they're painting and repainting it, the, the, it's because it's moved and taken some damage during the yeah. move. You know? It's got some mileage on it. Yeah, yeah. So that's the Chinchuro mummies, and I thought they were very, very interesting. That is uh, fun. It's not the kind of mummies people usually talk about, which is exactly. And and they're the oldest. I mean, the the oldest natural mummy that they found from that tribe is from 7,000 BC. But the first properly mummified body, like uh, with the with the whole all the preparations and whatnot, 
dated back to about 5050 BC. Um, and I believe the first Egyptian mummies that are the, the oldest Egyptian mummies that they found were about 3000 BC. I'm going to say yes. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> for my research. Um, I didn't, I didn't, um, research, uh, the beginning portions of mummification, but it sounds right to me. Yeah. Cause I'm thinking it would be first kingdom or whatever it's called, but. It's right. You can trust me. <laughs> I trust you. <laughs> and then, uh, so another one I wanted to kind of bring up because I thought it was really, really interesting and semi-terrifying is the self-mummifying Xinyan Buddhists. Ah. Yeah. Now that was an awe that um that is that I've heard of this, but I don't know much about it. And I also know that there's some spirituality involved with this particular one yeah so this this is really interesting because buddhists um in general are actually not about the body so much so mm. um the self-mummifying uh Xinyan buddhists i'm probably again mangling the pronunciation of that uh sort of goes against uh some principal ideals of buddhism so so kushinibutsu they're called buddhas in the flesh um, they've been found in a couple other cultures like India and, and in China, but they're most popular or most well-known in Japan. So they were ascetics and ascetics are, you know, they believe that, um, <clears throat> denying themselves pleasures is, uh, a form of enlightenment. Um, and only the most devoted ascetics would even attempt to self-Buddhify or self-Buddhify, self-mummify, <laughs> self-Buddhify. Um, they believed they attained special powers through ascetic acts. Like they would sometimes, so they would metaf- uh, meditate under powerful waterfalls and sometimes even gouging out their own eyes. Um, self-training, self-denial. Uh, they would attain to, to try to attain mastery of their own bodies. So there would be fasting, celibacy, uh, bodily mutilation, uh, renounce worldly goods. You know, all that fun stuff. So self-mummification was actually an act of transcendence rather than uh, suicide. Some believe that they would be in a trance. Uh, when they when they finally reached that point when they when they uh, become those mummies, they believe they're actually in a finger quote trance um, for a few billion years until called upon by Maitreya. No, I'm fucking it. It's a future Buddha okay. for the benefit of all mankind. And the process is pretty brutal. It's actually three thousand day training. Um. Where basically it's just meditating in, in in place, and their diet is poisonous. They're, so they're intending to die. Oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah, they're doing this for the purpose of being awoken by a future Buddha to help so, them. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. No. Ask your question. I was gonna say. Um, um, Dame has googled me some pictures of them as well and I just have a quick question for you do the sunglasses come before or after enlightenment? After so that they're <laughs> less frightening to children <laughs> so if you if you attain like if you do become a proper mummy they'll they'll put you in a shrine right? Yeah yeah they look pretty some of them are posed in the coolest way yeah so they're posed in the lotus position they're dressed in very nice garments um, and yes, they do wear sunglasses because because they're in a shrine and so many people come to pray to them. Zom, uh, mummy eyes, a little little scary. Yeah. 
So they put the sunglasses on them so they wouldn't frighten children. I don't know if it helps. I don't. I think it just takes it to a silly place. I think it takes it to a silly place because you can see how pretty nasty the body looks because they have yeah. their monk um, garb on and so half of their body is exposed and they are bald and it looks basically like a zombie wearing sunglasses. Um <laughs> Uh, and with beautiful orange robes um, that obviously they clean and replace, it looks like. Yeah, I believe so. And um, yeah, I feel like the sunglasses, although meant with the best intentions, just kind of makes it look a bit silly. If they thought that the eyes were offensive, maybe just a piece of cloth. Yeah, like, that's what I'm thinking. Just fitting like with the, yeah, like Justice has her blindfold like it's kind of more in fitting with what's going on but the you know the ray-bans is all <laughs> <laughs> how could you, you imagine know, aviator glasses <laughs> can you imagine yeah like if say you know future buddha buddha does come and wakes them up and they're like what the fuck is on my face <laughs> what is this why is the world so dark okay all right so what you need to do is you need to go and look up what one looks like without the sunglasses have you seen any of the ones that don't have sunglasses? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see it. I can see why they put some sunglasses on. <laughs> yeah, it's not cute. Um, but it's not silly. It just kind of makes them look like, you know. Corpses. Death. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. They don't look any less frightening. Um, just they look less silly, I think. Yeah. I'm just being a little judgmental. Oh, no. When I Googled it, and this is what I see, are these Buddhist monks with sunglasses on. Yeah. I just started cackling. It does. And they're not just normal sunglasses. They're not actually wearing, like, Ray-Bans and things like that. They're wearing, like, the kind of sunglasses that someone would wear if they were blind or had um had to sh- properly shield their eyes from the sun. Yeah. Um, but they do do look like... I mean, they're still sunglasses, yeah. but there's some pretty, um, some pretty grotesque looking ones, to be honest. Yeah. Well, and well, there's also one that's, um, was actually, uh, put into a statue of a golden Buddha. Right. I've heard they've x-rayed the Buddha, haven't they, to see yeah. if it's still in there. Yeah. If it's really there and it is. Yeah. It's so neat. Um, okay. So 3000 day training and their diet is called, um, a tree diet. So basically they eat nuts, berries, pine needles, tree bark, and resin. Um, they also drink a uh, tea. It's called urushi, which is a, a, ta- a sap of, oh, I can't say that. <laughs> Toxicodendron vernifluum, um, which is actually used to make lacquer. Um, it makes them vomit as well as acting as a, a sort of embalming uh, agent while they're still alive. Um, also oh, wait, making the wait, body. Wait, 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 back up, back up. They are being preserved before they're dead. They're yes. literally like poisoning and doing horrible things to their body before they've reached the point of extinction. Yep. Or expiration, I should say. Yep. So for 3,000 days, <sighs> they, eat, they eat this diet and it gets more and more restrictive. You know, till I'm, I'm sure eventually they're just, like, taking a small nibble of tree bark. Um, so, and so wait, wait. 3,000 days is like 10 years, Melanie. Yeah. 
Oh my god, okay. Well, that's yeah, dedication for you. They are very, very devoted. And they drink this toxic-ass tea. Um, and when they are ready to become Sokushinbutsu, um, the monk would step into a tiny chamber with a tiny hole for air. Um, and he would sit, sit, chant, and ring a small bell to indicate that he's still alive. When the bell has stopped ringing, they wall him up and leave him for three years. After three years, they open up the uh, chamber and to see if the mummification was a success. Hundreds of people have tried this. Only 24 known are known to be have been successful. Okay. Um, and even and there there is a little cheat. Like if they're mostly preserved, they'll still count it, and they'll just sort of uh, uh, smoke the body with uh, incense to, to help um, preserve it. Okay. If they are not successful, then the body is uh, exorcism, like an exorcism is performed, and then they are just buried. And, and they're, like, used as a warning. You know, don't try this unless you really think you're ready for Buddha. Did, does that mean that they go to, like, a bad place, or do they just get reincarnated again to try again? I'm sure they just get reincarnated. They, they don't really have a heaven and a hell sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, I, that's awful, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what to say. To think that I was so dedicated to a faith that I would spend the last 10 years of my life committing suicide. But it, to them, it's not suicide. It's transcendence. It's it's for a good cause. To them, they really do believe that they're doing this to aid Buddha in in helping the world. Okay. Um, but yeah, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I'm... I'm a bit speechless about that to be honest with you because like that's still going on now and there's that like from what uh, Dane was showing me they are documenting people trying attempting this not frequently but frequently enough for me to have seen two different people I think Mm -hmm. there that were attempting it in the modern era of you know press coverage one of the last one of the last successful ones was uh, 1977 it looked like there was one that was really recent, or was that just a colorization of um, the gold Buddha? Um, it just looked like there was one or two that were, um, maybe it was just pictures of people praying to the monks in their shrines. Um, but that's okay. It just it looked like there was more modern, but I mean, I imagine that there are people oh, yeah. that are working towards that. But you say the last successful one was in the 70s. I believe there may have been unsuccessful ones since. Oh yeah, most likely. <laughs> <laughs> so these so might be. It's definitely still a practice. Um, which and where not... is it? Uh, I know Japan? you said that it was Japan, it's, um, and there's some other places as well, but Japan predominantly. Yeah, it's predominantly Japan. It's, it's predominantly of of this certain um, Buddhist uh, sect. But they have seen that some people have tried to self-mummify in China and India as well. Um, right. Again, I don't think it's the same reasons. I don't think it's the same um, uh, religious belief. But self-mummification is is not strictly in Japan. But that's that's where it's most predominant. That's incredible. I mean, that is dedication. Yeah. Um, oh, no. The one that I thought was a modern um, attempt is actually a successful self-mummify. Um, Sokushinbutsu? 
Shogun Bitsu. So he looks the is that really him on the right there? There's there's a, there's one of them. It looks literally like he looks normal except for the fact that his like nose and his mouth is kind of messed up. But the rest of him still looks like he could literally just wake up. So yeah, I recommend googling that if you've got a strong stomach. <laughs> um, if you don't like looking at um pictures of of deceased people, then then stay away. But you know what? You know they're mummies. And he chose to do it. <laughs> That's cool, though. That's really cool. All right. Cool. So I do have a couple others, but we can also save those for other episodes. But I want to hear what you've got. Right. Well, okay. So I started to um, research the, um, the 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 capuchin mummies. Mm-hmm. Um that they are um, quite famous mummies that are in the catacombs of, of Sicily. They're all over Sicily, but the Capuchin, Capuchin are the, um, the religious order um, of priests and things like that. Um, so it's all over Sicily, and there's loads of different tombs and, and catacombs. And then I realized that this, these were too cool, so we're going to give them their own episode. Well, not them specifically, but catacomb catacombs in general are going to get their own episode eventually so we'll save the capuchin stuff for then but it is worth mentioning that if you like um mummies um and you want to learn some more about mummies check out the capuchin catacomb mummies because there's some pretty humdingers in there so when i decided beauty sleeping beauty is one of the best but there's also really creepy ones that you know you'll discover as well it's really cool, but or you could just save it for when we tell you about them, um, in when when co- catacombs come up. So hey, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> so when I realized that I didn't want to do that because the catacombs deserve to be their own topic, I started to get a little bit creative. So I wrote a listicle. <laughs> do you know what a listicle is? I do. Right. So here we go. Seven things you didn't know you could do with mummies. Nice, you won't yes. believe number seven. <laughs> uh, right. Number one, you can paint masterpieces with them. This is true. A super popular shade of brown known as mummy brown is made from grind up mummies and was used by hundreds of artists who prized the pigment for its rich, transparent shade. Yeah. Yes. So some canny people, um, artists, knew exactly what it was. But just as many people probably didn't. There are accounts of people finding out that there are ground up mummies in their paints and kind of freaking out a bit. Um, There's this one artist that was told and he literally went and got his tube of mummy brown and buried it in his garden saying yeah. that he was so sorry to whatever pharaoh. Because he, he obviously assumed it'd be a pharaoh um, and buried it in a backyard in like a panic. Um, So... Um, there are an unknown number of ancient Egyptians spending their afterlife on art canvases. So they're admired in museums all over the world and it's impossible to know quite how many or which paintings have the shade included on them. Absolutely impossible. (laughs) (laughs) In the 19th and uh, like the late 19th, early 20th century, there was this um, uh, colorist company called C. Robertson and Company. C. Robertson and Co. And they supply paints and pigments to um, people in the UK from like predominant artists all the way to like amateurs, including Winston Churchill. 
And they had Mummy Brown on their catalogue until 1933. Damn. Yeah. Um, Gary Bowles is a representative of the C. Robertson and Company. Even remember seeing Mummy Parts in the shop as late as the 1980s. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> I I looked a little bit into that a while ago, and I, I do remember a single per, a person saying that a single mummy created enough powdered paint to last twenty years. But I did not know that there were body parts as recently as that. That's not so. Yeah. So he remembers there being mummy bits in the shop until the 1980s. But he assures us, you know, that there's no more mummy brown around. Right. Uh-huh. Whereas um, I found this uh, lady Barbara Berry, who's the head of scientific research at the National Gallery of Art, she says she her she says she says she hopes not. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no real no one really knows if Mummy Brown's still hanging about the Shade oh, Mummy. Find it. Well, the Shade Mummy is still available. Mummy is available, but it's a reference to the original color. It's like kind of like you know meta. <laughs> yeah. But it's not. Got actually got mummy in it um so but it, it, it like it's it's still around i mean you could probably find an old tube of paint from the 30s or something and you might be able to um test it i don't know there's actually no way to really i don't know i, I guess you could test it afterwards which will come the way you could test it will come up later in the article that i'm doing sorry later in the listicle that i'm doing um <laughs> There's a, only a few recipes for this pigment exist, and they vary. Um, some of them cut, you need the whole body, and others using others you only need the finest muscle. <laughs> okay, so it depends on what you're after. The techniques for mummification obviously changed over the century with different resins and oils and plants used at different times and stuff. So the actual shade itself would change. So in response, the the recipes would have to change. So um, you know, depending on what century mummy you got, you'd have to compensate with your recipe in order to get the shade you want. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the very, very early incarnations of the pigment were derived from medicines of the time, which brings us to number two. The second thing you can do with mummies is cure your ailments. <laughs> so... <laughs> Drink up. Ground up and dissolved mummy bits were thought to be a cure-all. So, from around the early medieval period, apparently Europeans were ingesting and applying preparations of medicinal mummy to cure everything from epilepsy to stomach aches and even gout. Now, this could be because people believed in Egyptian, that um, Egyptian mummies contained something called bitumen, which is asphalt nice it's the gooey bit in asphalt nice okay so academic sources alert right the following facts are facts then that's are that that came out wrong the following facts are facts and that's that nice right (laughs) some of the ailments that bitumen alone is credited for being able to treat and this is just a few okay is treating scabies in cattle cataracts toothaches shortness of breath dysentery arthritis blood clots gynecological uses not specified man wrote the article and healing wounds (laughs) i need some mummy for my vagina yeah doesn't go into what he means he does describe the fact that they heated something up and like 
use the vapors from it for the gynecological purposes. But I didn't know if it meant that we inhaled the vapors with our face or with our vaginas. I don't know, but it was used imagine, in gynecologists. <laughs> I imagine we squat over a pot of boiling mum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, but yeah, I love that he didn't actually go into that. Um, um, so, of course, if bitumen has all of these medicinal purposes, naturally, if mummies contain bitumen, mummies are therefore medicinal, right? Yeah. That's the logic. So, um, the mummies have been analysed by many researchers to confirm that they did, in fact, use bitumen um, to, to preserve their bodies. So there is some logic there. There was bitumen in the bodies and they were using mummies for medicine. Um, that was like the binding agent, right? Sorry? The the binding agent was bitumen? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, right. So they were using bitumen from the Dead Sea. And it's, that's only in the later mummies, so post second century BC, uh, and the but the older mummies don't have it, and that's probably more to do with that's probably has to do with the fact that um, trade networks to Palestine opened up after Alexander the Great, so that's literally a point in history where bitumen will have started to be available, and that's when it started being used in mummies. But any mummy older than the second century BC didn't have bitumen in it. But nobody really knew that. Everyone just thought all mummies had it. So um, people probably believed that it was the whole mummy that made it medicinal. So it wasn't just the bitumen. So even though it's sort of in medicine, it started out as being just about the bitumen or, um, you know, uh, that one specific thing. I think probably more people were thinking it was the mummy itself that was medicinal. So um it will have sort of evolved you know how things do like someone tells you something's healthy for you and then they'll tell you what's healthy about it but all you'll remember is the thing is healthy for you it's no it's yeah. knowing that oranges are healthy for you but not knowing it's because of vitamin c yeah so um i also found some um recipes um for creating um mummies uh to be used in medicine because they they did actually try to make their own as well rather than trying to um only use crushed up egyptian mummies um and there's some fun ones here these are from animals so this is later um you know when no no this isn't later this is 1616 to between 1616 and 1654 um and this is a prescription this is actually a doctor's prescription nice take a jay pull off her feathers and pull out her guts then fill her belly full of cumin seeds then dry her in an oven till she be converted into mummy yeah and then the next one is take an owl pull off her feathers and pull out her guts salt her well for a week then put her into a pot and stop it close and put her in an oven so she may also be brought into mummy so you could make your own mummies if you couldn't get your uh, Egyptian fix. Nice. So, yeah, I mean, but the, the the best was to get the actual Egyptian mummy because the there was obviously going to be a little bit of superstition around this because people will have believed that mummy had otherworldly powers. Yeah. Because it's, you know, a mummy. It's a so, fucking mummy. Yeah. 
So because humans are quite generally, you know, superstitious, it makes sense. So, um, you know, a little bit of sort of pseudoscience and a little bit of superstition there um, made perfect bedfellows for prescribing mummy as a medicinal in various medicinal ways for about 500 years yeah. <laughs> sorry 400 years i should say yeah it's pretty pretty hot um and heard, uh but king charles the second of england mm-hmm. did you know about him and his mummy thing i i couldn't do all the research <laughs> Um, I just have found a little bit of little blip. Well, King Charles II of England believed he could absorb greatness by rubbing powdered mummy into his skin. Stop it! You're stepping over my number four. I'm sorry. Okay, go. <laughs> Wait till my listicle is done for your fun facts. All right, you go. Um, right. So I, I um, this one was as just strictly medicine. This number. <laughs> um, oh yeah, and I meant to say as well that um uh witch's mummy is mentioned in many shakespeare's plays including macbeth as an ingredient um in medicine or by the witches of uh, macbeth they have the they have a witch's mummy in their cauldron when they're you know doing their soothsaying so shakespeare was writing about it um you know so it was a thing people were using mummy um and they thought that it was supernatural and they thought that it was, you know, so yeah, that's fun. Nice. Um, but by the end of the 18th century, uh, mummy was sort of like coming out of popularity as a medical treatment. But then Napoleon goes and invades Egypt and then everyone goes Egypt crazy all over again. So <laughs> because Napoleon's back in Egypt, there's, they start finding loads and loads and loads of mummies. So this creates a huge demand for mummies to be used for more things like number three have a super trendy unwrapping party (laughs) yep so people would get um mummies from egypt and uh display them in their living rooms and they would invite over all their friends and have an unwrapping party with everyone while they would uh you know basically i just imagine them doing it like a maypole (laughs) But that's yeah, probably right. not right. <laughs> but they it's would like take turns on a rotisserie, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> running around it, going ring around and rousey, just pulling off the thing. But in 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 actual fact, they would have like had it laid out, and they would have taken turns taking wrappings off the mummy. Um, though this was illegal. Okay. It was still super popular, and I and I wrote super edgy and fun for the whole family. <laughs> So, that is so messed you know. up. Oh. Yeah, it gets worse. <laughs> you could also use your mummy as fuel. Uh, despite strict prohibitions against their removal, boatloads or shit tons, that's a more official measurement, of mummies, both human and animal, were brought over uh, to the United States from Egypt to serve as fuel for steam engines and to fertilize co- crops. <sighs> so now you're burning the mummies up into the atmosphere and sticking them in the soil to grow food. Fun. (laughs) So that's why we have global warming. (laughs) are fucking pissed. It's the mummy's curse. Yeah. Okay. Takes Um, a long time. 
What? So the, the curse, it takes a long time to really hit maximum potential, but still, fuck. Well, it, when you hear five, six, and seven, you'll definitely believe that mommy's curses exist. Nice. In terms of maybe they're the reason why we're having all these environmental problems. And then we don't have to blame ourselves anymore, Melanie. Yay, we can blame Victoria. It would Victorian. still be our fault, but it would be people from two or three hundred years ago's fault. So we can carry on consuming um, as much petroleum as we want. I'm down for blaming Victorian era uh, humans. Yeah. I assume yeah. white folk as well. <laughs> So, okay, so, do you, okay, right. So I'll, co- I'll carry on with all the terrible things that we've done to these poor mummies. Number five, you could write a letter to your lover. Now, this is not totally confirmed, but mummy paper was sold in the United States, and it's believed to be paid from linen wrappings from mummies. In the 1850s, the U.S. was suffering a shortage of paper. So paper makers supposedly use wrappings from mummies that were found in mummy pits in Egypt. So I actually, yeah, I I read that they we used them as grocery bags during the Civil War. Yes. So basically anything that needed to be made out of paper. Now it's not totally like I couldn't find anything um like backing this up, but it's because we can't really. <laughs> I don't know we can't really test it but they were they were in the um well I guess we could test it but there's just no one's really done a study on it I guess but there is um in catalogs and things like that things you can purchase mummy paper so why would they advertise it as mummy paper <laughs> if it wasn't money paper paper made out of mummy yeah and where were they getting the paper from if there was a paper shortage so you don't really think about there being a paper shortage but apparently there was a pretty horrendous one in the 1850s so you know <laughs> so we make right. do with mummy wrappings like what mummy wrappings yep how is that the second option i mean why not dry out leaves or something you know chalk, like chalk on chalk. our boards um it's like the romans did rock wax tablets there's there's many options beyond mummy bindings and of course that's like what oh. yeah it's very odd yeah um and then I think that number six touches on the one that you started to kind of go into, um, which is you can uh, make cosmetics. So make oils, soaps and incense. So, yeah, rub that dried up dead guy on your skin to get clean. <laughs> Clear that acne or leprosy sores and burn it in your boudoir for a sexy scent of dead Egyptian dude. So... <laughs> They literally, people used to literally burn incense that was made from ground up mummy and obviously <coughs> of smells, but yeah, ground up mummy bits. And um, it was it was absolutely lauded for its ability to help soothe the itch and burning of leprosy sores. So I kind of forgive the leprosy people because yeah, leprosy kind of sucks. They're in a desperate spot you know yeah um but the ointments made from mummy apparently um were very um good at soothing the pain but i imagine that honestly any ointment would have helped i don't really necessarily think that it had anything to do with the mummy but they did they thought it was the medicinal you know value of the mummy that was doing it but then just people with acne and you know dry skin would 
would use it as well. So you've got women putting it on their faces and other like, places. Lord. And soap. So can you imagine doing a bath and your like lovely brown bit of soap is because it's made out of mummy? Ew. Yeah, like little little flecks, you know. Because oh. you know it wouldn't have been perfect. No, it would not have been. But going back to King Charles II of England real quick. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he, he would rub the powdered mummy onto his skin, but he also took the king's drops to protect his health. And the king's drops apparently were made up of ground up human skull and alcohol. And the ground up human skull didn't necessarily have to be mummy. No, I think it's probably building on a sort of calcium. Yeah. There, but you can get calcium from, you know, other sources like milk. You don't need yeah. But, but I don't know king, if you would have known that. When you're a king, you just go for other humans, I think. Oh, my God. Which king was this? King Charles II. Oh, that's a pretty late one as well. My God, that is pretty embarrassing. Okay. I don't that's know. A lot of this is on you guys. Yeah, I know, but I tried to do American ones so that you could also be embarrassed. <laughs> like mummy paper, that's an American thing. Unwrapping parties. I imagine no, that was probably parties. all of Europe. Yeah, that was that probably was everywhere. Europe. Yeah, that was Europe. <laughs> but they were going to the US as well, but not very many because you didn't at the time have that many um, rich people. There were rich people, but, you know, I think you had other things to well, I don't know. I just never mind. I think that it probably happened just as often over there as it would happen over here, but it is the craziest thing I've ever heard. And I yeah. still stand by my initial judgment that they stand it up in the middle of the room and they run around it like a maypole <laughs> unwrapping it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my visualization of an unwrapping party. <laughs> okay, so the last one, number seven. What else could you do with a mummy that you didn't previously know? You're not going to believe this one. Get high as fuck. Oh. Right, I might have made that one up. But if I'm willing <laughs> to put money on on the likelihood that um some some Chad powdered his nose with crushed up top dust 100%. You know, if you're if you're getting it from the apothecary for um you know, your bout of syphilis you're gonna get some guy that's gonna snort it and oh, i yeah. can guarantee you pop a little bit of mummy on that opium and <laughs> hit the rocks man i just couldn't find anyone to prove that but i i'm i'm not um i'm willing to think that at some point someone put it up their nose or smoked it because this is human beings that we're talking about and oh, yeah. um if it if it can be crushed up smoked inhaled and all that sort of stuff someone out there will have done it so <laughs> absolutely so now I actually oh yeah go. you go I'm, I'm almost 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 done go right so you like to think that this is um something that's quite distant in the past right you'd like yeah. to think that this is quite a long time ago um but there was an ad placed in a a newspaper in 1904 for a mummy request a request for a mummy at a suitable price adding that surely a 2000 year old mummy of an egyptian monarch may be used for adorning a noble fresco in westminster hall without giving offense to the ghost of the departed gentleman or his descendants that is the ad 
Nice. So this person was obviously in 1904 was obviously an artist that wanted to use it to make mummy brown. So as late as 1904, there's actual evidence of people asking for mummies. So there was pretty definitely a black market for them going on after that fact. Um, You know, it's pretty sketchy. (laughs) So it might even have gone into the like 50s for all we know. But and we also know that from that guy's quote in the from the, the the colorist that there were still mummy parts in an art shop um, in the 1980s. So there might be black market mummy bits still floating around, being used as ointments, being used as paint, being used as various other things. Oh, I can guarantee Um, it. And I'm going to finish with this quote, right? This quote is from 1658 in a a book called Hydriotopia. Sorry, Hydriotopia. Egyptian ingenuity was more unsatisfied, contriving their bodies in sweet consistencies to attend the return of their souls. But all was vanity, feeding the wind and folly. The Egyptian mummies, which Cambyses or time hath, hath spared, avarice now consumeth. Mummy is becoming merchandise. Mizraim cures wounds and Pharaoh is sold for base arms. Nice. So basically, they mummified themselves out of vanity, and now we use their mummies for vanity. Yeah. So this person who wrote this thinks that vanity might be one of the seven deadly sins. Ooh. Possibly. They're writing this in the 17th century. Nice. So there you go. That's my listicle of seven things you didn't know, but probably did know about mummies. And I'm sticking to number seven. I almost took it out because I couldn't find any proof of it, but I am so sure that someone will have, have gotten high off mummy. Oh, I guarantee it. I mean, come on. If if mummies were in great abundance and we were teenagers back then, <laughs> smoking smoking the, the hash or whatever, you know, and someone's just like, dude, I got some mummy, like throw that on there. No, no, no. I'd like to think that I'd be a little bit more respectful and be like, what, you're going to put ground up corpse onto your... No. I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> well, but, you know, I'm saying, like, if we were in the 1850s and dumb teenagers or whatever, like... Are you saying I wouldn't have been a vegetarian in the 1840s? I'm pretty sure that wasn't even a thing back then. Yeah, well, you know, maybe Not it was. civilized society. <laughs> <laughs> but I also found a couple little couple little fun facts about mummies as well, that mummy parts were sold as Joan of Arc relics. Thought that was kind of neat. Like, okay. So like so, people people would buy um some, something they would think was Joan of Arc's finger or something like that. that oh, it was some random mummy. It was a little piece of random mummy. Yeah, but that was really common to sell um you know relics of saints or or you know religious figures like that. Um and yeah, they found that most of them when they tested them were yeah Egyptian mummy bits. And um, in 1888, it's my last fun fact, I promise. In 1888, an Egyptian farmer discovered a tunnel filled with hundreds of thousands of cat mummies. So cat mummies were ended up being used as fertilizer. And at a Liverpool auction in the 1800s, the fertilizer went for three pounds per ton. And the auctioneer even used a mummified cat skull as a gavel. Sweet. 
You, you guys. It's not me. It's not us Americans. <laughs> so wait, okay. So this was the eighteen eighty eight. All of these mummies were found. Yeah. That's interesting because I um I recently did a research paper on mummified cats that are found as secret deposits in houses in Britain. Yeah. Um, I came of it from the perspective just looking at the type of buildings that they were buried in and the location in the building that they were buried not looking at it in terms of witchcraft or um, superstition but just looking at what kind of buildings that they were in and things like that to see if there was any kind of pattern and it seems interesting to me because a lot of the buildings that um, the majority of the buildings that the cats are found in are sort of late late 19th century so I'm wondering if the mummified cats were purchased when this big pit was found and possibly some of them were actually bought for the purpose of depositing in the house. It's interesting. Uh, yeah, or, or in the, in the fields as fertilizer. It was, it was, they, there was a shit ton of them. Well, I uh, did mention that they were used as, as fuel as fertilizer in my list. But. Yeah. And, and as far as the fuel thing too, I found that was a, uh, um, Mark Twain actually had written a little bit about uh, them throwing mummies into the train um, uh, as fuel when he visited Egypt. Mm. Nobody could tell for sure if that was true or not. It was like, fact or fiction, Mark Twain claims... You know, after doing the sort of half research that I did for this, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't well, yeah, be surprised. And, and the, the argument was that because it was in Egypt specifically... One of the theories that in Egypt, you know, they they don't have a whole lot of like wooded areas, so they don't have a whole lot of trees to use for fuel, and coal was too expensive to import. So um, using mummies was not completely off the uh, off the beaten path, off the list of options. Mm. Um, and there was like another uh, author or something that said that it would get so cold and they had no fuel, they just throw another mummy on the fire. So it, yeah. How oh, fucking God. mummies did they have? How many mummies <laughs> were there to do all this shit? I mean, there must have been millions. So many! My I mean, I've seen millions, but hundreds of thousands. Still, that doesn't seem like enough for everybody to be using them like that. I think that it's a very... Um, when they were using it for the pigment, I think that was very niche. And when they started using it as medicine... Sorry, so they started using it as medicine and it was pretty niche. And then they started using it as pigment, which picked up its popularity. So I think it was probably a slow crawl up into the peak of its popularity in the late 19th century. And then mm. in the late 19th century, they started running out. So if we think about, it's probably only 200 years of using mummy. And in the beginning, it would have been very... Um, you know, limited. Mm-hmm. So maybe we're only looking at a hundred years of using it. But that's still a hell of a lot of, you know, dead people. <laughs> that's a lot of corpses. That's a lot of corpses. And I just I was just checking and that mummies uh, as a medicine was called mummia. I, I skipped over that fact because I thought I was boring you. No. But everything went everything went kind of flat. So I was like, oh I'll, I'll skip over that because it's the Persian word for wax, which is later included the, the the word for bitumen is and which is where we get the English word mummy. So it the Persian word is is actually mummia is wax, not mummy. My so. mind is blown right now. <laughs> I thought I was boring you with the thing, so I just was like, I'll skip that, I'll skip no. that, I'll skip that. 
but I also didn't want to talk forever. <laughs> no, that was I have, awesome. I do have to, though, um, do an honorable mention uh, for a one Jeremy Bentham. Okay. Though technically not a mummy, he's actually a fully clothed skeleton, padded out with hay and topped with a wax head. His body still sits on display at University College London after the English philosopher requested to be preserved as an auto-icon after he died. He did so in 1832, and it has been on display ever since, except when he has to go get his melty face sorted out. <laughs> nice. So he requested upon his death to become a auto-icon and to be displayed at the University College London. And you can Google it. His name is Jeremy Bentham. And he is sitting in a little box in a hallway at University College um, being all 1830s, um, they've given him the wax face and every so often it melts and they have to go, <laughs> to go and fix it. But he's not a mummy, but I wanted to give him a little shout out because I love myself a little eccentricity. Yeah. So look him up, Mr. Bentham. <laughs> well, I'm out of facts. I, I have so many more, but I probably should cut it down, and we can use all the other things for future conversations. Okay. So, um, are we all done now with the mummies? Yeah, I'm exhausted. How about you? That was awesome. <laughs> I love that. That was so much fun. Uh, I've turned into a mummy or a zombie. I can't remember. It's all blurring into the same thing. Right, right. yeah. So, <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah. Right, so hopefully that was not full of in you know inconsistencies and um terrible fact checking but i am going to put my sources up on um once people start listening and things like that i'll put my start posting the sources up because i did use actually four journals academic journals for the, this article so a lot of the things that i say are backed up by actual um studies uh, including one from 1924 or 25 or something like that which is where I found all of the different ways that bitumen was used as a, a medicinal um, ingredient and it's really worth a read because the style of it is it's 1927 actually and the style of it is fantastic and it's quite short and it's really fun reading so if you want to read it I recommend it nice um and uh, there's only a few things left. So first we'll do our social medias. So if you want to um, see what we're up to when we're not recording and things like that, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook um, under Zombie Fishbowl Podcast. It's pretty easy. Um, you can also email us at zombiefishbowlpodcast at gmail.com if you want to request a topic or if you are um, making any corrections or have anything to add that's interesting like maybe you know an interesting mummy fact that you would like us to include that's more than you're more than welcome we'll mention you next week and if you could please tell your friends and uh, subscribe to whatever it is that we happen to find ourselves um, hosted on or <laughs> rate us um, and all those all those sorts of things we're still sorting those things out um but hopefully uh, you'll be able to um, recommend us to people and, and they'll be able to find us. So fingers crossed. Tell your friends, your family, your cat, your dogs. Spread the word, please. Yes, please. <laughs> so I guess now is the time to choose our next week's topic. 
It sure is. So I have I have put our list into the uh, random topic picker, and I'm going to pick a random topic now. Do the song. Random topic picker. Random, random topic, topic picker. It's a picky topic. I don't remember what I said. <laughs> okay. Melanie, you're going to love this. I'm excited. Next week's topic is gothic horror. Nice. Yes. Boom. <laughs> Boom. There we go. So we are going to um, spend the next week researching gothic horror. Now, it's not specified what kind of gothic horror. Okay. So we will discuss off the air <laughs> um what uh we are going to actually do there because gothic top gothic horror is actually quite a big subject so yeah we'll talk about that and so before we leave you i guess we'll we'll do my quote of the week because it's my turn this week and it's a dumb one but i love it <laughs> yesterday is history tomorrow is a mystery but today is a gift that is why it is called the present. I don't know who wrote it. I think it's someone named Bill Keen, but I attribute it to um, Kung Fu Panda. Walmart. Kung Fu Panda. A turtle says it, and it's very sage and wise. Genuinely, Melanie, that's the kind of thing that you see pasted next to minion pictures. A turtle said it, okay. Like, on a tree. I think he's going to die or something. It is like, you're such a mum. Yes. Like, that is a mum quote. A mum quote through and through. I had just watched Kung Fu Panda, okay? (laughs) And I liked it. And I'm sticking to it. Sticking to it. I'm going to sit here and feel slightly uncomfortable because that was so cheesy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I can do it. Another one. No, I love it. No, I love it. I love it. I did Spock last week for Pete's sake. I have a quote from Spock's father. I could do that one. (laughs) I I have it. Where did I I put it somewhere? You don't have to prove anything, Melanie. You just just exposed yourself as a really sentimental. (laughs) You even admit that you got it from Kung Fu Panda. Kung Fu Panda. I'm a I'm a pagan man. I'm a pagan hippie, and it spoke to my soul. It did. But okay, if you want something that's slightly better, um, from Spock's father, threats are illogical, and payment is usually expensive. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna suck on that. <laughs> I have nothing to say, but <laughs> the clawing at des- desperate redemption. <laughs> I do what I do. I don't apologize. Okay, so <laughs> Dame has just looked up who did the quote that you did, the standard version, right? So yesterday's history, tomorrow's a mystery, today's a gift. That is why it's called the present. Yeah. So there's various versions of the quote. Um, and sometimes it's attributed to Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah. So you can say, actually, it's quite a feminist quote because it was Eleanor Roosevelt, possibly. But no one seems to know. Um, and a cartoon turtle. So, yeah. I mean, still. 
it is the kind of thing that would be in a Hallmark card. It's in a Kung Fu Panda. (laughs) And with that, we leave you. Thank you for listening. Come back again next week or, you know, tomorrow or right after this, depending on how many episodes you're into this thing. Thank you very much. Hopefully we haven't been boring. Hopefully we've entertained you. And um, some of my jokes fell flat and I'm going to have to deal with that for the next two days when I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> just just think of like Eddie Ezra just going, all right, this didn't work. This didn't work. No. Yeah. It's a no work in progress. <laughs> right. So, okay. Oh, dear. Right. Bye, guys. Bye.